0: Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow the TheEssential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast.
1: Welcome to this episode of The Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and for this episode, I want to take you to a conversation that we had recently at our spring development module. Pastor Glenn Packiam leads a time of training and development in the fall and in the spring, and we had different conversations around different topics. And not too long ago, we had a conversation around the challenge of unity in our age. And this conversation actually was hosted by Jade Duncan. Now, Jade is the New Life Midtown pastor. And he hosted it with Jordan Victoria Lewis, who is a member of our New Life Friday Night staff and is an African-American woman. And so, as we all know, the challenge of race is one of the foremost issues in the conversation about unity in the church in America in our day. And they had one of the most thoughtful and nuanced conversations I've heard In a very long time, one of the things I think is a huge challenge for us in this question of race is that everything gets reduced to sound bites and statistics, and sometimes our humanity is lost, and we need to cultivate spaces where we can put flesh and bone and narrative around our experiences again. And this conversation did just that. I think that it's going to be helpful to you and illuminating to you, and hopefully it'll warm your heart with kingdom affections and get you desiring again in the right direction with the desire for the kingdom of God. Without further commentary from me, here to the conversation. Good morning. It's a real privilege and
2: honor to stand with you and stand amongst you this morning. This is actually one of my favorite moments of the week. Spring development and fall development module is something I look forward to every week. And I really hate the snow that comes on Wednesday and Thursday. I hate it. I rebuke it. Because it keeps me from coming here and learning together with, I think, some of the most world-class teachers and trainers and leaders and developers literally on the planet. So for those of you who've already presented, thank you for the time and the effort you put into that. They have all been marvelous And Pastor Glenn, can I just say thank you for the work that you have put into this book? I think it is not only timely, I think it's a prophetic gift to the church and to the world for such a time as this. And I particularly want to thank you for the courage that you've demonstrated, the courage and the candor to name some things that have been skirted around um, for quite some time. And for whatever heat you've taken for that, we as your family, we just come around you and we cover you and bless you. I want to be very quick about the setup here because I think the best way to address this is actually to engage in a conversation. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I was driving down the road several weeks ago when when Pastor Glenn first brought this to me. I went into like hyperdrive mode. I was like, I'm going to read every single book again. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, bro, you need to relax, man. Like you got 30 minutes. (laughs) And then I felt like there was this brilliant idea that just dropped in my lap. And what better way to tackle this or to highlight it than to put friendship on display? And to practice incarnational listening uh, in the context of a relationship. And so we're going to do that here in a minute. But I want to make a couple of statements. Number one, unity is important because God is essentially unity. Right? Our notion or our concept of unity has to supersede the world's notion of unity. And it has to go straight to the ontological nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a line in one of the songs that's on the album. It's called the, uh, what, what does it say? The, the selflessness of triune love. Are you kidding me? Like who wrote that? Who wrote that? The selflessness of triune love. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all of eternity have been mutually submitted to one another. Mutual affection, mutual adoration, mutual trust for all of eternity. And that's our model. That's our why. That's our purpose. That's why this matters. Because everything that we do has to begin in who God is. And secondly, John 17 tells us that there's an unanswered prayer that Jesus has. And that is that the greatest distinguishing mark of the church, the greatest identifier that the kingdom has come is the way that we treat one another. And so it's kind of a big deal. Our posture towards one another, the way that we choose to relate to each other validates the entire mission of Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. And so those are a couple of whys. So in other words, this talk and this issue, it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's not a suggestion that we maybe pay attention to this. This is critical to the validation of our entire witness and our entire message. Another way of saying it is this unity reinforces or qualifies our witness. And if that's true, then the converse is true that division disqualifies our witness. And division has become the way of the world, right? So it's it's division, it's derision, it's demonization. If I don't agree with you, then I cancel you, I polarize you, I villainize you. And then when we do that, and this is seeped into the church because it's the air that we breathe in this hour that we live in. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves kind of slipping into the very deceptive devices that the enemy has cleverly laid in order to dis qualify the witness and the prophetic voice of the church in this hour. So, we all know that whether we're going to be talking about Christian nationalism or the reality of racism, we have 30 minutes to talk about this and there are loads and loads and loads of nuance Probably the biggest thing that I want to say is complex issues very rarely have simple solutions. They require time, they require patience, they require humility, they require, as Rich Veloda says, a dying to ourselves that anytime that we practice incarnational listening that it requires a dying or a sacrificing of ourselves and our own perspectives. So without further ado to put some of this on display, I'd like to invite up here to the table with me someone who I have the highest and utmost respect for. A year ago, I met Jordan Victoria Lewis, and there are some people that you meet and you just immediately, you just realize, that there's a kindredness that's there. And Jordan, what I want to say about you in front of everyone, by the way, if you've not had the opportunity to meet or interact with this young, marvelous lady, please do so because you are one of the greatest life givers that I have ever met. You celebrate people, you see people, and you radiate the joy and the life and the goodness of God. And it's my honor to engage in this conversation with you. Will you come on up here? I love that color. It matches my skin tone.
0: Hey, thank you. (laughs) Uh,
2: I'm about to get my Brene Brown on y'all. Tell me your story. (laughs) Uh, So for those who do not know you, you've been a part of the New Life family now for one year?
0: Yeah. So I started on staff here um, May of last year but I've been coming to new life since the end of 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah. So very good. Mm-hmm.
2: Now in the past couple of weeks that I've gotten to get to know you a little bit better, I have discovered that the message of the kingdom, racial reconciliation and unity, like these are life messages for you. Yeah. It's a passion yeah. of your heart. Tell us your story, where did this come from? How did the Lord imprint that upon you?
0: Um, for those of you who don't know, I was born and raised here in the Springs. Um, and my parents are both from the East Coast. So for them to come from the East Coast, everyone in my family's black. I mean, cousins, aunts, uncles, anyone who marries in, everybody's black. My parents came from that to here. So it was culture shock for sure. Um, Why? Do tell. I what know. You... Just, well, you know. <laughs> I don't understand. I
2: By the way, last uh, week she told me, she says, Pastor Jay, just in case you don't know, you're not a black woman. I was like... <laughs>
0: he was offended <laughs> oh my gosh um, so my dad was in the army, which is what brought uh, my parents out here. Um, and because of the culture here, because, um, Colorado Springs, in case you don't realize, it is, um, black people are a minority. Um, I can probably count us on one hand. Um, and so it's, um, it was something where my parents had to adjust, and this was 30 years ago. My parents had to adjust and figure out how are we going to take care of our kids and raise them in a place that that may or may not accept them. So it was something that we had to navigate as a family. So for some of you, you may not have had to think about race until you were in your teens or in your 20s or right now, and God bless you for that, you know? Um, but for me, it, it's a conversation that I had to start having when I was like five, six, or seven years old. Like I was a tiny person. Um, but I remember having a conversation for myself with the Lord when I was 15 years old. Now, I can't remember why or what sparked this, but I remember walking from the living room into my room, um, just right down the street off of Stetson Hills. And I opened the door to my bedroom and I said, hey, that's how I talk to God. Hey, um, why does Satan hate black people? Like, why does he hate black people? I just, I just need to know. And the Lord said to me, it's a spirit of division that is in full operation. And it will use in 15 years old. I'm like, the, the respect the Lord had for me. He was like, I'm just going to shoot straight, you know. But um, it's a spirit of division in full operation, and it will use anything it can to divide my people. And that's part of what's come against black people for— centuries you know and ever since then there have been different conversations different things um, that I've talked to with the Lord that we'll get into Um, but that was kind of my my entry point where I'm like well what's the spirit of division and it is ruining my life like it is humiliating me it is it is following me around it like y'all I have been called the n-word more times than I can count just while walking down the street I have literally had things thrown at me like just for just for being black. So I, it's something that I, I know that this conversation can feel like, why are we talking about this? This is inconvenient. Yeah, welcome. Like th- this isn't something that I ever get to take off. This isn't something that I ever get to not think about. This is something where, I told Jade this, um, I, don't, I don't expect um, hatred to be inevitable. Like I mean, all of you in this room have interacted with all of you. I feel nothing but love and care and acceptance from all of you. That is not my story with everyone. And it's one of those things where I know I'm 100% safe in this room, but I know that if I go to King Supers, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. And that is something that I have carried around all the time. Like, I've had to be delivered from a spirit of fear because of race. And so when I'm Talking about this, it's not y'all are terrible and you need to get it together. It's if I don't have your help, I am really alone in the world and it stresses me out. And so, having people where I know, okay, like I hope my interaction at King Supers is safe, but until then, I know I am at least safe at New Life, like that's a really big deal to me. And that's why when Jade asked me to have this conversation, I felt really, um, really relieved because I'm like, okay, I, I can talk to my friends about what my experiences are so that way they can at least be aware um, that my life is different from theirs and we can see what happens with that. So I won't feel so alone.
2: So you mentioned you asked God that question at 15 years old. So the implication for me is that you had been experiencing... <clears throat> some negative activity in those first 15 years of life. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. Tell us if you could. So when I reached out to Jordan now, probably three or four weeks ago, and I said, hey, I have this idea. You lit up and you alluded to the fact that there's a calling on your life for this, and I think it's very, very evident. Can you just touch that here for a second before we get nerdy and talk about content? Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> um, it, It's, um, like I mentioned, I've had a lot of really difficult things happen to me, shameful and humiliating things. Um, and as I've been sorting through that with the Lord and, unfortunately, with my parents, um, when anything happens to me, it's the hardest thing for me to have to tell my parents Um, because there is just a level of real helplessness, not hopelessness. Um, and a lot of people of color experience hopelessness. Um, and that's something that maybe we'll talk about. But um, for for my family, it's just like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we can't go track down that person who called you a gorilla. Like, we can't go, you know, find the person who threw something at you. Like, it's, it's just a very weird kind of a thing. Um, so when I've sorted through all that with the Lord, I'm like, God, what do we... What are me and my family going to do? Like, how am I supposed to think about this? Like, should I move somewhere else? Like, where can I be safe? Like, I've had my parents have moments where they almost had some regret. Like, should we have brought y'all here? Like, should we have stayed where we were, you know? Um, So as I'm sorting through all this with the Lord, the Lord said, this is a kingdom issue. And we we like, let's talk about that. So for me, I, I've had to kind of get a bird's eye view because if I stay earth side, it, is, um, it, it feels there's a pressure, there's a weightiness where I'm like, people have been hating black people forever and it's never going to change and I don't know what to do. You know, it's like a whole drama, you know? But when I think about kingdom, I'm like, what spirit is this? And how can I torment it? Like unity is a tormenting act. Like it it just is. So yeah, you're witnessing our friendship up here. This is a genuine literally from day one. Jay Duncan was my buddy and I call him my best friend. And he's like, you call everybody that. I'm like, you're special though, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> And so so there there are things like this that are an absolute assault and affront to the enemy, to the spirit of division and the spirit of racism, and I hate them. Mm. So for me, like, I love being at New Life because I know Satan hates that I'm here. Because there are times where I've walked in the big living room, and I've known that a spirit of hatred has been able to run rampant. And I'm like... We'll see how long you last, you know? So it's like, it's this like fight. I mean, you see me, I'm wearing all yellow, you know? It's like, I'm like gentle spirited, very bright, very genuinely happy. But there are things where I'm like, you're done tormenting me and shaming me. You're done like, breaking apart my friends like from other relationships that they could have like you're done making people afraid to live in the place that God has called them to live because they aren't sure how they'll be treated so it's like those are a lot of the things where part of my call and I, it is a call but honestly it's it's for me it's an act of spiritual warfare um where I'm like yeah it would be easier honestly safer more convenient for me to be anywhere else but Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that if I leave, that spirit will think it's won and I'm competitive in nothing else besides spiritual things. So I'm like, I'm like, you, you may kick me, but I am not going to quit. Like, I am very tenacious in that way. And so that's part of how that call manifests itself.
2: Love it. I love it. So good. You're crushing it. All right, let's talk content here for a little bit. We've both read the chapter several times, wide slate here. What do you want to speak to? What resonated with you in that chapter? Well,
0: Glenn, I just want to honor you um, for writing it because you easily could have just, you know, softened it, skipped over it, um, you know, ignored it altogether because a lot of people do that. But the fact that you went for it and put it in here, I just have deep respect for you. So thank you for that. Um, one thing that Glenn said um, and he reiterates in several ways throughout the book um, is just how radical unity is and how revolutionary it is and that is a hundred percent true um and so for for us as a church and I'm speaking to you' all again not as not as like you' all need to get it together and figure it out I'm speaking to you as my equals um And like, we, we get to be radical. Like, we get to be revolutionary, um, in how we approach unity, because that's just, it's a, for, for us to pray the Lord's Prayer and to say, your kingdom come and your will be done. Unity is a non-negotiable period. Like, that, that is how the kingdom shows itself. That's how the kingdom shows up. Um, and so it's something where I think, race can be overwhelming and Glenn um read the chapter not so you can fight with Glenn but read the chapter because he really does take something difficult and add clarity to it and put language around it in a really powerful way Um, but like it you know talking about race or talking about nationalism can be a very like you know kind of jolting thing and you're like where do I start and what do I do and black lives matter and I don't know what else matters and everybody matters and I don't know what you know it's like it's a whole thing right um but you can, you can remember, oh, hey, it's the kingdom that I'm going after. And, like, that is your your entry point to kind of say, what does the kingdom look like? You know, and I think Glenn demonstrates that really well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. There is a statement that, that Glenn made.
0: He talked about the way that the early church
2: was so radical and revolutionary is because they believed Jesus was Lord. And that jolted me a little bit. Oh, I believe Jesus is Lord. What do you mean, Glenn? Like, what does that mean? And it just, the more I read it and the more I meditated on it, it made me ask some deeper questions like, do we really believe Jesus is Lord? Like he has exclusive right to ask and demand anything on our lives as individuals and a people. And if so, then what's the implication of that? And it just kept, it kept calling to me that the church was radically revolutionary in its unity because they believed that Jesus was Lord. And if they believed that Jesus was Lord and he was a new king, then he was bringing a new kingdom that looked in a different way. And I just thought, man, we don't really believe that Jesus has exclusive right to ask us whatever he wants to ask us. And what he's asking us is to lay down our opinions and perspectives to pursue something that is bigger than our opinions and our perspectives, right? And to enter into the life and the story and the pain of our brothers and sisters and allow that to become more important than our own data and statistical analysis and all of these kinds of things. And so if Jesus is Lord, then he has then allegiance to him looks like, Jesus, you get to ask me to do anything. And that means that I've got to take the initiative to die to myself so that Christ's church can be unified, so that we can be a witness to the world. And so the, ki- the kingdom perspective here is our only way through this. It is our only, it's our only solution. It's our only option. So Glenn brought out some Um, some incredible resources here all throughout the chapter, but one was a book called Divided by Faith, and in Divided by Faith, by the way, the backstory here is a couple of guys got together, and they, thousands of surveys in 20, I think it was 2000, 2000, thousands of surveys across the nation, face-to-face interviews. Um, And actually, they they did a follow-up book 10 years later to find out whether or not they had made any traction on that. And much like the statistics right here, there's not been much traction. But the overarching thesis of Divided by Faith is the crux of the issue. The very heart and the center of the issue is, like Glenn said earlier, is that we have such radically opposing or different views on what racism is. And this is what they say. There's three things right here. Number one, racism is they, they they interviewed white evangelicals. So this is these are the three predominant views of white evangelicals. Number one, racism is very simply and solely the result of sinful individuals. It's just an individual issue. There's, there's individuals and they've got prejudice in their heart and we just need to tackle these on all isolated individual basis. Number two, as a result of that or part and parcel to that, racial tension then is caused when certain groups then take isolated incidents of prejudice and then they try to project them onto a wider scale. They try to inflate them and say, oh, these are small issues, but really it's, it's, it's these guys have agendas. And then the third, which is the worst here, is racial tensions are exaggerated at best. Or, listen to this, fabricated. They're made up at worst. So these are, these are the three discoveries that came as a result of face-to-face interviews with thousands of people 22 years ago. And Jordan, I just want to ask you, like, what do you think about that? Can-
0: yeah, um, as I was reading, I just... We could be here for another hour with just that. But um, as I was reading through um, Glenn's book, he made, um, there's one sentence he has in here where he's talking about um, how people talk about the black experience versus what people perceive as the black experience if they're not black. Um, and the, how there's like a wide separation. Um, and he has a line in here that I highlighted where he says, this distance is fatal to empathy. And I think my response to all of that is, distance is fatal to empathy like i'm not a liar i wish i was making up the humiliating things that have happened to me like i wish that wasn't true like i wish we didn't have to watch about how Ahmad was chased down like an animal and killed like i wish we didn't have to see george floyd have a knee in his neck like i wish we didn't have to hear these stories like it, so it's not in any black person or any person of color, any person, y'all have been upset about the same things, you know. Um, if someone is, is um, telling you something, if you're hearing something, like, it, it is a real shame for you to say, oh, that's fabricated or exaggerated. Like, I wish it was. I wish it was, but I live this every day. My friends live this every day. I have a younger brother. I can't tell you how many times I'm worried about him. I have a nephew who's gonna be 12 next week. He already has had people say horrible things to him. Like, you're a monkey and I'm going to like, I hate your family because your family's black. Like, he's 12 years old, not even, you know? And so don't don't separate yourself. Um, because in a lot of ways and this is not neither here nor there um but y'all can take it off like you can um you know kind of go home and and not have to think about it but it's something where for for me and for my family and for other black people who are telling you like don't be distant because then you you turn cold-hearted you stop being empathetic and you can say things like oh, that's exaggerated or fabricated. The only reason those people could say that is because they've turned themselves off and shut themselves off from the problem. And there's no, there's no need for you to do that. Y'all are leaders in this room. Please don't do that.
2: Jordan, growing up, and I've shared some of my story with you. So in a lot of my social circles, I was the minority. My dad was in the Army, and so most of my best friends were black and Puerto Rican. <clears throat> I, was the, I was the mixed kid, you know, light skin. And when Ahmaud Arbery was chased down and when he was lynched and executed, I reached out to dozens and dozens of friends, people of color. And all I said was, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't even know what compelled me except for just friendship, deep, authentic, and genuine friendship. And what I found was that so many of my black friends were saying, Jade, thank you. You were one of the few white people who actually are saying, I'm so sorry about this which that just threw me into a tailspin. Like I didn't, I I don't have a paradigm for that. I don't understand that. And then over the course of many conversations, what I've come to discover is that for a lot of particularly black Christians, the issue is that my white brothers and sisters seem to be more interested in having statistical conversations than lamenting conversations. Like the inability to step in and say, you have a pain in your story. And, and it almost kind of exacerbates the pain when you look to your white brothers and sisters and they're unwilling to either acknowledge or validate or step into your pain. Can you speak a little bit more to that?
0: Yeah, um, the Lord and I have been talking a lot about this um, in the past couple of years. So there are kind of two um, spans that I'll take. So I'll start on the spiritual level and then go to the natural. But So on the spiritual level, the Lord um, took me to um, Luke when um, Jesus met Peter for the first time. Um, And so the setup is Peter and Andrew were fishing in their boat. James and John were fishing in their boat, okay? Um, So I remember crying, like weeping to the Lord, like, God, I, I feel... I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Like, is there any hope at all? Or is this just kind of the fate of black people? Like, is this just always going to be our, our plight? Um, so the Lord took me to that, to that, um, story and he's like, Jordan, I promise you in your lifetime, black people will not be oppressed as they are. In your so I plan on living to be hundred. So I'm like I don't know, you know what that means. He he, he didn't say when, but I'm like I'm, look like nothing better happened to me before that. And if it does, someone will be raising me from the dead. Like I am just like I will be there, you know. Um, but he's like in your lifetime, like um, I black people won't be oppressed as as they are. So when I was thinking about that parable, um, Peter had been fishing. And Peter and Andrew had been fishing and fishing and they had caught nothing like there. And they were skilled fishermen. You know, for me, I'm skilled in racial conversations. I know how to be a black woman in a predominantly white male dominated space. Like I, you know, in, in that way, I'm like, I understand Peter, you know. Um, so he's just going and going and going for it. And there is nothing. Jesus rolls up and says, hey, like toss your net again. And Peter's looking at him like, are you kidding me? Like, I know what I'm doing. I've been fishing. I'm exhausted. This is ridiculous, right? Um, but he does what Jesus said. Then all these fish come. Y'all know the story, right? He pulls them all in, but he can't do it by himself. Peter and Andrew can't do it by themselves. They call over James and John, who were with them, to help them. So what the Lord told me, he's like, in your lifetime, black people will not be oppressed as they are. And I promise you, your white brothers and sisters are your James and John and you will be able to call them over to pull in what i've promised you. That is what we're dealing with here. That's why i could have moved to Texas but didn't because i'm like i want to see that happen. Like i i want to be able to one see all these fish come into the net cuz i'm tired of seeing what i'm seeing. But two, like yeah, like who who are my james and my john like that i can call over, you know? And the Lord was telling me, He's like Jordan, the net is mercy. I'm like, mercy? What the heck? You know, Um, we don't need mercy. We need judgment. You know, and He's like, He's like, well, babe, what what happens? What happens when I judge? You know, and obviously, there's judgment and mercy in both the Old Testament and New. But to be dramatic, I'm like, well, Old Testament, they get leprosy, they die, their cats die, their dogs die, their plant babies die. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, right. It's it's a catastrophe. You know, He's like, and what happens when I have mercy? I'm like, well, the blind eyes are open. Like, the lame walk, the dead are raised. And the Lord was telling me, he's like, you're making an assumption that mercy is like, oh, like, it's fine, you know, and moving on. He's like, that is not mercy. Like, I'm not a punk or a fool, you know? Like, like that's not mercy. He's like, mercy has to see what's wrong and make it right. So for me, casting my net out again is an act of mercy to say, all right, if someone else is brutally assaulted by the police, if someone else is called a name, if someone else says something to my nephew, if my brother is followed, if, 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 you know, and honestly, at the point we are today, when, um, I, I am not afraid to cast my net out again because I know one day this net will be filled with fish. Come on. One day, all of you in this room are going to come over yes. and help me, and it will happen in my lifetime. And so that's yes. the—that's yes. the comment. Like Texas, though, really,
2: Texas. <laughs> like not ATL. Like I mean, I, Texas. Well, well, we'll see.
0: There, there are options. There are options. You know, it's, it's,
2: hey, it's it's in Texas too. I'm just telling you. I'm. <laughs> So, Jordan, do I, have, do I have permission to go to some painful places? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So last year you wrote a Facebook post on, what day was this? February the 19th. And um, I still have a hard time when I read this. And I'm going to read this out loud. And you take this wherever you want to go. Where I hope it leads us is into greater solidarity and a greater capacity to lament. So this is this is Jordan's Facebook post from last year. This is last year, y'all. This ain't, this ain't like 20 or 30 years ago. And this is here up in Colorado Springs, downtown. In, in capital letters, I, I hate black people. And I want to shout that out, but I, the way you heard it and the way it's running through your ears is not the way I'm reading it right now. But just if you can hear in a visceral, guttural, I hate black people these words were shouted into the clear blue sky on february 19th not even two weeks ago while i was paying the parking meter in downtown colorado springs i was on my way to meet up with a friend for coffee when these storm cloud words assaulted my quiet innocent bliss much to my relief the gentleman's repulsion to my dark skin sent him across the street away from me but his curses were still ringing in my ears I finished paying my parking meter and kept walking like I always do. Listen to that. Just keep walking. Put your face down, put your face on, and keep walking. I have to. I went into coffee and didn't say a word about the incident to my friend. There's a lot there. I didn't want to relive the moment. I carried the hateful ringing in my ears alone through the art museum while I attempted to breathe and swallow my tensions. I carried the burn scars from hate's flames into church that Friday evening where I was invited to give my pain to God and be honest with him. I cried a little and handed my sorrow and the sorrow of my people. I love that. I handed my sorrow and the sorrow of my people over to the shepherd's skilled and tender hands. I knew I could trust him. I drove away from church still scarred, but lighter. That was a year ago. I'm so sorry. How, how, and you've touched on this, and everything that you're saying reflects a deep, deep kingdom perspective. But how do you keep from getting bitter and resentful? And you, know, you talked about casting, I mean, you, how many times can you cast that net of mercy over to the other side? Like, how do you protect your heart?
0: Yeah. Um, what's, what's, ah, if people want to know why I love the Lord the way that I do, it's because horrible things like that happen to me and He is right there. Like, the kindness of God in my deepest most helpless moments of sorrow um and he's just like I mean when the word says he is our ever present help in time of trouble like y'all that is for real for real you know um I love the Lord I love you Lord um what's what's so bizarre about moments like that um so I'm I'm gonna keep this very brief for those of you who are like whoa but for me I'm I'm um a perceiver. So I can perceive um, spirits. So like angels, demons, that kind of a thing. I'll just keep it there. So, um, in that moment, I could feel the angelic host like around me, like before it happened. So I was like, Whoa, like I'm just paying my parking. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, and then this man walks by yells. I mean, and that's just part of what he said. It was really awful. Um, yells all the things. Um, I just felt surrounded. And so for me, it's things like that happen, but I have not just a natural, if I had a natural perspective, I would not be here right now. Like there's no way I would be in Colorado like I would be somewhere else, period. But I have a spiritual perspective. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do with the fact that these things keep happening to me. But I know that every time you show up in full force and like are doing things in the spirit, you know, Um, and that is something that I pray for um, my black friends. Like I pray that they would have comfort, like it's comfort. I pray that they would have peace. I pray that they would have hope. Um, And that is that is the, the kingdom perspective, right, where the Lord's like, I will make every wrong right. And I'm sorry that happened to you, but I will retaliate and against that spirit that that tried to attack you, right? Um, The other thing I'll say is, um, and this is how you all can participate in the healing that I needed. Like I mentioned that I was at church that Friday night. Um, And this was early 2021, so I was not on staff yet. I still didn't really know anyone. Um, But I was just in the room, you know, like carrying this grief. Um, and there is something to be said about a worshiping people that really is a healing balm, you know? Um, about a couple of weeks after that happened, um, I was at first Wednesday. So it was March 3rd of last year and I was all the way in the back. I mean, the only thing behind me was the wall, like the back, right? Um, and at the end, John and the crew were singing, um, the blessing, you know, may his favor be upon you, whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, so I usually sing over the black community or over my nephew or, you know, something like that. And I had my eyes closed and I kid y'all not, like it, it's almost as if this man's face was like right in front of me. Like I can see Seth right now was that close. The man who yelled those hateful things, like his, in a vision, his face came to mind, like vivid. And my eyes shot open and I was like, like startled, really deeply disturbed. Um, And I knew that I had a choice in that moment. Like, am I going to keep singing with this man's face or, or not? And I knew that the Lord, like God is so, he's so kind. He's so kind. I knew that he wouldn't judge me for whatever I decided to do. Like, he's like, you don't have to sing over him. Like, I respect that, you know, or, <laughs> you know, like, that's fine, you know. <laughs> um, but when I, when I opened my eyes, again, I just, I was, I saw everyone, everyone in front of me worshiping. And it gave me courage. So I, w- I kept singing with this man, like, singing over this man and every person, who has done anything just came like flooding through my mind, like vivid as if they were in front of me. Like I can see Jillian, I see Dr. Pete, I see Erica, like that clear in front of me. And I was mortified, but I heard the roar of everyone else worshiping in my ears. And I'm like, okay, I'm not alone in this moment. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going, you know? And there's, um, there is something to be said about that. It's why I pray for a diverse church. It's why I pray for um, black people, people of color, people who are hurting. I mean, we talk about unity, men and women. It's not just black and white. It's like all sorts of things, right? Um, But there is something about the people of God coming together um, in worship, like reading the scriptures. Like There is no more powerful force than that um, against the spirit of hatred, so. Okay,
2: last question, because we have to go to the table, so we'll keep it very, very brief.
0: What's the best
2: and most healing response from your white brothers and sisters when you or your people experience painful things? What has been helpful? What has been healing?
0: Yeah, Um, just say you're sorry. And I, I can't tell you how healing it's been, to be able to call a white friend because I don't want to burden my black friends yet again. So there are certain white friends that I call if things happen because I just need someone to carry me um, so that I can carry my black friends, right? Um, And so the best things people have said, like there's one friend, Danielle Miller. She lives in um, uh, Minnesota now. But um, I remember after George Floyd was murdered, I called her. And she said, hello, friend. And I just start sobbing. Ugh. I mean, like ugly cry, sobbing on the phone. Can you show me? Can me you me show know, you me just me like right now, it's full display. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just sobbing on the phone. I couldn't speak. I was shaking. And she hmm. just starts to pray immediately because she knew. Come right? Man. So good. There isn't any, like, I invite you all into that. You know, it's easy to think like, oh, like, I don't know. Well, I'm not black. I have no, I'm like, just cry with your friends hug them. You're better off checking on them saying like, Hey, like I'm hurt that this has happened. Like, I'm sorry. You're better off leaning in than not. Um, and it's again, like, it's something where I, I have to lean in every day, whether I want to or not. Like it's okay and I'm still here you know um so it's okay if you lean in every once in a while um for the people the people in your life just to let them know like hey I I see you um I'm sorry this is happening um and I I lament with you you know like you can say you're sorry even while you're confused you can say you're sorry even if you're overwhelmed like you can say you're sorry even if you're afraid because it's like we we live with this like one one moment of lament um, will be really generous yeah and is necessary for kingdom living